Normally I'd have a jokey entrance here, but because of the discourse that's been going on on the internet over the past month, and because of the subject matter of this book, some major plot points that revolve around the discourse that's been going on this month, we firmly believe uh, both Neil Gaiman and his daughter, Rhea Pratchett, Sir Terry knew and loved and appreciated trans people for who they are, and so do we. So join us on our journey through Feet of Clay and the Complete Discography. Okay, so tonight... Tonight we are talking about the book Feet of Clay, the 19th book in the Discworld series by Sir Terry Pratchett. It originally published in 1996, uh, and it is sort of the third, I guess, guards book, and in my humble opinion, quite possibly the best of the guards books, that is, as opposed to a Vimes book. Uh, I'm just oh, like, I see. We're making that distinction. Yes. Yes. It's, it's an important <laughs> distinction to make, I feel. I'm going to put this out here at the outset. If you have not read this book, please read this book before listening to this podcast. Uh, we are going to spoil the ever-loving shit out of it uh, and probably forget about 50% of all the things that we all want to talk about or just cut them for time. And yeah, it's it's... There's a there's a lot of stuff in this book that I think is foundational to what a lot of people love about the Discworld series. And for the first time, we have a returning guest. Please join me in welcoming back to the show our friend and confidant Evan. Oh, am I am I am I receiving secrets now too? I mean, if you want. Ooh, just whisper them. We don't want the audience to hear. Okay. Hmm. 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 Justin, please. I had to get mine in separate. Rhubarb, 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 rhubarb. That's a surprise. I should probably, I should probably actually though. introduce myself too. Hi, I'm Evan Saft. Uh, you can find me on other podcasts such as Rollout, where I'm the friendly neighborhood GM. Uh, if you like hearing me talk about things, you can also hear me uh, explain baseball on This Is a Cultural Event, a podcast that will hopefully have returned by the time this comes out. Um, Glad to be back. Uh, y'all Y'all heard there were Golem and just knew I was needed. Yes, we gave Evan slightly more warning this time. I've read the book in less than a decade this time. <laughs> we, just, we just flashed the Golem signal in the sky and, <laughs> and Evan was there. Weirdly, it just looks like Emmet. Evan, you also wrote at least one game about Golem, correct? Indeed, I did. Um, um, my game notably called Emmet, uh, is a game about being golem uh, in, a, in a Jewish settlement or, or in a settlement. It's Jewish is implied as it was part of the uh, Doikite bundle, uh, a Doikite uh, book, which is a collection of games by uh, d- various Jewish tabletop designers. Um, you can find that on itch.io. It's super freaking cool. Um, I should probably spell Doikite. D-O-I-K-A-Y-T. It's sad, but in the good way, the cathartic way. Oh, we like sad but cathartic. That's that's really sad. Sad but cathartic is really um, what we're here for in this podcast. 
Mm. Yeah. Right? I, I hear I hear that Discworld is the world's greatest tragedy. Some of the books, for sure. Others are just a straight tragedy. Uh, look at you, Ridswed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's 525. I'll at least pull, I'll pull these. <laughs> I'm pulling my punches. So without further ado, let's go into our goofy titles. Um, Anna, why don't we start with you tonight? So I'm Anna, and I'm just bartending at beers while I finish my degree at Unseen University. I swear I have a plan for my life. Hi there, my name is Justin. I am your windowsill footprint and analyst. Uh, I'm Evan, better known by my Omnian name of Talk to Everyone About Golems Incessantly. And I am Aaron, and I used to work in a button factory, but that job got sewed up by one of them golems. So, but because... Yeah, because this is a crime novel and a guards novel, uh, I have asked Justin to do the summary this month. I It's been a while since I've done one of these because um, I, I usually just hand it off to other people because I do two of these a week for Bad Pod. Um, <laughs> and I'm a lazy fuck. But guess what? It's a guards book, so you get me back. Um, frankly, uh, this is an ex- a very... I'd say expansive mystery. Um, and I'm just going to give you the arsenic laced skeleton of the basic structure of it is because really we just want to talk about this book and really just, just go read the book, please just go. If you haven't read it, read the book, go ahead and read it. Okay. Welcome back. Yeah. Don't, or don't, we're not your parents. Yeah. But you know, you'll get a lot more context that way. And like, we don't have to worry about like you, like, first 48 hours thing for like advertisers or anything nobody pays us for this shit <laughs> sorry I mean, we have a patreon but like if you really fall fo- if you really do that like you're just simps at this point <laughs> <laughs> can't wait for air to edit that out i hear that's how to make the big bucks on patreon calling your patrons simps <laughs> we're off to a strong start tonight <laughs> We start off our novel with the Watch in a growing and, for the most part, stable situation. New recruits are being sworn in from dwarves to trolls, and even the Omnian visit the infidel with explanatory pamphlets. Recently promoted Captain Carrot has become something of a community fixture, and his relationship with Angua has continued. Our two main mysteries of Feet of Clay stem in noir tradition from two seemingly unconnected points. The first is the murder of two community members— Father Tublicek, a priestly scholar, and Mr. Hopkinson, curator of the Dwarf Bread Museum. What is strange is that the evidence seems to point to the killer being a member of the city's golem community, uh, ancient beings of clay that are brought to life that are used for menial labor. Our second thread is the poisoning of Lord Venenari, which leaves him weak and debilitated. The two things, as it turns out, are linked. A golem in a candle factory was used to make poison candles laced with arsenic to poison the patrician, as part of a plot to weaken Venenari so a cabal of elites could place a... <sighs> another king on Ankh-Morpork's throne. However, this was no ordinary golem. It was a quote-unquote king golem created with parts from 12 other golems. It was given a number of instructions by each of the golems, but it overloaded and went haywire. It went on a rampage and killed Tublicek and Hopkinson, who both helped in the golem's construction. Eleven of the golems that contributed parts to the Kang golem commit suicide, and the remaining Dorful 
confesses to the murders out of guilt. Carrot, recognizing the confession is false, purchases Dorfil and gives it ownership of itself. The two of them are able to confront the Golem King of the Candle Factory and are able to defeat him, with Dorfil getting grievously damaged in the process. Vimes is able to confront the leader of the conspiracy, a vampire named Dragon King of Arms. And now we're just going to stop on that for just a second. There is a dude named Dragon King of Arms, which is an amazing name. Okay. To be fair, I believe that is a title. Mm -hmm. I just choose to, like, if a title, it's an amazing title as well. Dragon King of Arms is the city's chief heraldry expert, and Vimes arrests him. Uh... Vime sets fire to the College of Heraldry to destroy their records as punishment for the rich using the deaths of the poor to suit their schemes. Dorfel is rebaked with a voice this time and is given commission as a watch officer to the dismay of many priests. The city slowly returns to normal, with Veterinary acknowledging in the end he knew what was going on, but wanted the elite of the city to see how far Vimes would go if the patrician was gone. As a warning. <laughs> Again, this is the very bare bones. <laughs> it's a 400-page book. I think I think one of my favorite parts with Vime setting fire to the um, College of Heraldry as well is that the Vimes family is now the proud owners of a number of rescued heraldric animals. Yes. Including two hippos. Yep. Keith and Richard. Yep. <laughs> oh, well, I, just, I just looked it up, by the way, and uh, the... Garter Principal King of Arms is the senior King of Arms in the College of Arms with the heraldic authority over England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. That's... Okay. Um, <laughs> God, like, there are some really specific fields that when you get into them, you realize just, like, how like how much nerds people who get into that are. Heraldry is one of those. So uh, there's a fair amount of character people who rise to the level of principal characters. I think in this book, yeah, there's there's a lot. As as watch novels tend to be, they're yeah. kind of a uh, ensemble cast. Yeah, and weirdly, Nobby and Fred don't spend very much time together. Yeah, it is interesting. Fred is on the way to buying a farm, theoretically. Mm. <laughs> Just six weeks from retirement. I'm scared for him. Uh. <laughs> so let's talk about Vimes. Yeah, let's talk about Vimes. So Vimes in this book is, I don't want to say adjusted, but he has settled into married life. I, I'm just going to go through the list of things that he is like doing now. Like he manages multiple watch houses now. He's regularly talking to Veterinari. He is pretty happily married right now. And he has assassins trying to kill him every day. <laughs> i i was just like rereading that set piece at the beginning of the book i was just like justin's gonna love this it was so good so one of, it's one of my favorite vimes vimes character traits is constantly fending off assassins but but not making a big deal out of it it's it's like straight out of pink panther mm, yeah oh yeah that's that's a really good comparison except these are actually trying to actually kill him yeah, but it's it's got that like aspect of good naturedness on one yeah. end of it at least that like Vimes doesn't take it personally that they're trying to kill him. Like they're just doing their jobs, man. Some people watch football, some people figure out how to defeat assassins coming after them. <laughs> I mean, I could do both. Get you with they them. On the other hand though, like he's also 
super uncomfortable repeatedly with his new station. Yeah. Um, that contemplation of this divide between the shaved and the shavers. And he's realizing that he's now on the shaved side. Yeah. We, we get uh, the two most prominent instances of that are with, uh, as stated, the shaving. Like he doesn't like the idea of somebody like dating to shave him because it just feels weird. And like being taxied around. But the other one is that his boots don't feel great quite right anymore which is a is such a it's a, a wonderful callback yeah to, to boots theory yeah and like he uh, he event he at some point i can't remember if it's a named officer or not but, but like he he swaps boots with someone else because he just he needs to feel the cobblestones yeah mm-hmm. it's like he needs he needs his feet to do some thinking for him it's also like a really really foggy night i think yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, this is I, I think it's really Vibes is in an interesting place, even though he's like very there's a lot of things that make him feel out of place. Is that comparatively to guard guards and men at arms, this is the most, I think, active we see Vimes. Well, this is this is I would say where the watch novels start to trend more towards being Vimes novels. Mm. Um, you know, the uh, Vimes was, you know, hardly present in Guards Guards and and is starting to kind of return in Men at Arms. Um, but as as the watch series will continue on from this point, um Vimes becomes more and more our our central character for guards books they're they're always still ensemble casts but vimes is is becoming more our pov character Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's one of those things where like i feel like terry kind of chose him as one of the main like focal points for the discworld universe the guards books don't like narrow to just be about him but they're definitely a lot more about vimes Mm mm-hmm and the way that Vimes sees the universe too, and he's he's replaced his his alcoholism with theoretically with cigars, but really it's an addiction to being a good cop. <laughs> we can we can say that <laughs> it's to the dedication of the of, of the idea of police work. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll say that because I, I don't. I think we will. I think we will illuminate later on about like that. Uh, Vimes is a good civil servant, but like there are no good cops. And he's even, he's a watchman. Yeah, yeah. Which I think which I think is different from police. This book also has a lot of great Vimes veterinary content, and this is really hmm. where the Vimes veterinary relationship like takes off. Relationship, <laughs> you say? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've we've seen the two of them before interacting but this is the point where like they've they've got they've settled into their like routine and it's just a joy which is interesting because veterinary really is not that big of a force in this book no he just sort of he sort of just like lays around and vamps 
<laughs> oh, and poison. I mean, it, the, the, at the beginning, at least, it seems like he's actually taken by surprise by this particular line of attack, which is unusual for for Vetinari. Yeah. Of course, he figures out real fast what it actually is, and yeah. it's just like, fine, fucking figure it out. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's... It's eventually it turns from like surprise to like inconvenience to come on, figure. Come on. Yeah, I can't be the one to solve this. It needs to be Vimes. I just have to continue lying around and pretending to be poisoned. I'm poisoned. It's like neurasthenia. Somebody help me. Veterinary definitely has a fainting couch. <laughs> But it's but it's got to be like the least comfortable fainting couch in existence. Yeah, it's it's something that is like designed to handle his ridiculous frame. Yeah, it's a fainting couch where it's designed where you can faint on it, and then it's so uncomfortable that it wakes you up. <laughs> well, it's just that anyone who weighs more than vet- Vetinari just like it it sinks into it and starts prodding them. But Vetinari, he's. He is spindly enough that he lies on it absolutely comfortable to him. That sounds that sounds about accurate. Carrot, on the other hand, I think is close to being done in terms of development for the rest of the series. Carrot is pretty much just carrot for the rest of time. Yeah, uh, in- interesting in that in that uh, again this one, carrot, uh, uh, you know, our good old carrot, our good old. You know, here, here's here's the upright, most deadly do right person there is. Uh, our 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 focal character from the first book of, of the Guard series is uh, now even backseat to Angua. Angua is is stepping up into like we we get more POV and more more inner thought of Angua than we do of Carrot. Far more. I think that's a fun reversal because I think that it's just, I think that maybe it's something that's like Terry just sees it like there's not a lot of development or meaningful conflict that I can give with Carrot, at least in this book. But Angua, there's a whole bunch of angles I can play. Like she gets a whole bunch of angles here, both with how Angua is in her sort of, should I should I stay or should I go with Carrot? Her own uh, like her own subplot, both like positive and like the suspicious nature side of it with uh, Cherry. I'm I'm actually thinking about it too, and I don't think we ever get very much of Carrot as a POV character because that would reveal too much about how his mind works. Hmm. There are a few, but it's pretty uncommon. Because a part of the part of the mystique of Carrot is that you have to never be sure whether he's playing at being simple or whether he is simple. Like it's like a Schrodinger's carrot. Mm. That's my read on read on him, at least. I, I think I'd agree with that. Yeah, and it also like Carrot increasingly acts as sort of the avatar of the city. <laughs> you know, you say that. <laughs> talk to talk to us in three four guards books yeah that's fair <laughs> moving on uh we're going to just touch lightly on this character because boy do we have a lot to say about her later yeah we've got a new new face in the watch mm-hmm. well our last dwarf died so 
poor detritus. Uh, we've got Cheery Little Bottom, uh, an alchemist by trade, uh, turned, I guess, CSI ish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, our, our first forensic investigator. <laughs> as somebody who like had, was prepared for this name, and that there were a lot of feelings that people had about her, um. And, so, and as somebody who took criminalistics courses, I, it, yeah, um, Cheerio was immediately a glob point for me. <laughs> and, then, but then, and then made me cry multiple times reading this book. So we'll get, we'll get to why. Talked about Angua, I think. Well, yeah. Angua's, Angua's sort of through line in this is that she feels like her relationship with Carrot is too perfect. Uh, and it will never work. Uh, and she's got eyes on the, the city gates. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd say that it's, it's more than just her relationship with Carrot. It's it's a, in a similar way her relationship with her sit with the city, or mm-hmm. her relationship with the the guards, her relationship with you know being being a werewolf. Yeah, and 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 you know how how that colors her like the perception of her in the world mm-hmm. now nobby <laughs> nobby address him by his proper title that or, is the earl of onk <laughs> <laughs> nobby the knob we get nobby the knob nobby is the useful idiot in the plot to install a king on the throne of ank morpork because the actual heir that is pretty much all but fully acknowledged is too good of a person to be a king for the purposes of the rich people who run the city. Yeah. Well, because wouldn't you know that, of, of course, we, we find out that Nobby is, is in fact the descendant of the last Earl of Ankh. Uh, via a mistress and, uh, you know, various ladies of the night. But, you know, royalty will out. He's got that know? He's got that ring, which definitely mm-hmm. came to him through a legitimate source. Mm-hmm. Handed down through the family and definitely not, like, taken off of a corpse or something. Along with a tiara and a couple scepters and... <laughs> those, those shiny eggs, too, right? Yeah. Poor Nobby. That's another that's another kind of sad character arc in this in this book. Yeah. I'm not certain that it is. Well, we can we can talk about that when we we, we can talk about yeah. that. We're still in our we're still in our dr- personae dramatis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh half an hour in. Um <laughs> and then finally I think the the linchpin character in in this book is breakout star yeah breakout star yeah. uh is dorful a golem i mean we're we're are we gonna talk about anything here because ba- basically the entire book is is you know yeah. gonna be us talking golem so yeah yeah all right is there anything we need to clarify i sort of kind of want to just ask this off the bat for you evan how do you like appreciate or like how do you feel about terry's depiction of golems um so i think that it's actually an extremely like well-researched and extremely like respectful usage of them you know uh we'll we'll get further into this whole thing but you know 
they're not being used as just a mindless automaton, which in so much of fantasy, when people start to use the word golem, they just be like, oh, a golem, it's just like a robot, but not made of metal, right? It, ha- it has a lot of, of validity to the, or a lot of context to the sort of origins of the golem myth. Um, it, it has a lot of details. These are specifically, you know, made from clay. They are specifically brought to life by a holy man. Um, they are, you know, they, they, there are references to, to various pieces throughout, even if they don't exactly line, like they don't have an explanation of, uh, in, in, even in Discworld, these golems are alive because they have a hem which is the scroll, which is, depending on your golem mythos, is, is a scroll that is is placed into a golem's mouth to make it alive. Um, it doesn't quite have, like, it, do- it doesn't have the emmet on the forehead, which is another staple, but uh, that's, you know, they can only describe, so they can only put in so much explicit things. All the, all the, um, this is one of, uh, to, to get into a, a small thing that I love, all the golem have Yiddish names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every golem is has a is a Yiddish name, um, and and it's you know it, it is it is very it is it is close to Jewish tradition of golem, um, without with like a, a, and isn't just using them as a set piece or as a monster of the week or as you know again just we needed a word for robots that wasn't robot. So personally, I I love how Golem are used in this book and will be continued to use throughout throughout Discworld. And that makes me that makes me really happy that um, we've had some stuff in the past that's been hit or miss with Terry kind of adapting pieces from other traditions and cultures and stuff into his writing. And I'm glad that this is a hit. Yeah. 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 We will um, for for listeners. We will uh, go back to our. Two most uh, specific references of that, which are are witches abroad and pyramids coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the next part is broad impressions. <laughs> In case I didn't make it clear, this is a book that I like a lot. <laughs> Same. I, I agree that there are other books where Vimes is better or more in focus, but this is just so good all around. It's also... I have a particular fondness for this book because it is adapting not one but two other genres in my mind that we've got the kind of noir um, murder mystery aspect, which I feel like Terry wrote a flawless murder mystery here. It's great. But also this feels a lot more like in some ways it's Terry does sci-fi too, because the like... You know, the the singularity or you know the um, it's got Asimov uh, yeah. robotics kind of vibe to it too. Yeah, and that's that's really interesting to me that that um, he's tackling something that generally is tackled much more in sci-fi than in fantasy. Yeah, I mean, uh, hi, this is the this is this. Thank thank y'all for uh, making me read the first Discworld book that I've, that I've read since uh, Terry died. Uh, this is a real fucking good book and reminded me how much I fucking love Discworld. So, 
yeah, I'm, 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 I might be back on the train again. Y'all, y'all might have rerouted me back on the train. <laughs> I read this in one night because I started it and then was like, yeah, I'm going to keep reading. For, um, in case people did not get this from my, my previous parts of this, I think this is a real banger of a book. There is... It's it's the culmination of a lot of stuff we've been building towards in Ankhmor Pork. I love the stuff that's set in Ankhmor Pork more than other stuff, just because it's... Um, I think it's really a much more living and breathing element of Discworld than a lot of other settings that Terry uses. I will go into like specifically why this book is following in a tradition of noir eventually down the road and how it plays into like traditional noir themes, but it's a good mystery. Um, I don't think like the first two books were particularly good mysteries, but these were fun ones. And yeah, no, it was a banger. I don't often get to a point where I am like typing in our, our, our group chat, like theories over mysteries. I don't usually do that. But I like a couple <laughs> days ago. I just typed like all caps. Is the poison in the ink? <laughs> and we all were just like, <laughs> yeah. I turned into a little feral gobble this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that the you know I think that Vimes does the the Vimes characterization does a good job of of pushing that that mystery forward. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 quite a book. God, there's a lot of themes, but let's talk about some of the themes that are explored in this book. <laughs> aside aside from identity. Oh, I think I think that specifically, like, there is an identity theme in this, but it's about created identity. Between Cherry and Dorful, there there both of them by the end of this book have created new identities for themselves. And uh and we'll we'll get into a lot about Cherry later on, but I mean it, it's there's a lot of stuff in this of like purposefully making choices, uh, which I I think that's like that's that's a repeated thing, especially or no in both of their plot lines they they repeatedly both make intentional choices. Yeah, I mean, um, a a, a lot of it comes to per, both present identity, perceived identity, created identity. You know, a, a big piece of this is also um, kind of how uh people treat others particular i don't want to necessarily say in in a caste system but in in the way that so much of society is built on not uh in in establishing your position by determining the position of others and in particular in propping yourself up by casting others lower than yourself um that's a that's a theme uh, like continually on of those higher up and even as we'll see as this story goes on um, those further down in that you know seeing who is lesser than me so that I am not the least yeah because yeah, we even see that with the people of Cockbill Street who you oh. know yeah they might be poor but at least they have soap even even when they are buying the soap instead of the food mm-hmm mm-hmm um, and and as part of that, you know, we 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 sort of talked about this being Terry to sci-fi, but um, I don't. In in my particular interpretation of this, um, it's not really to me a you know it, it plays with those themes, but it's not so much about 
the the speculative fiction of AI, so much of it is about, you know, the dehumanization of minorities and and the working class and the idea that, you know, people being seen as uh utility and being seen as objects and 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 forces of, of labor rather than being seen as people. Yeah. Well and that's where the sci-fi the sci-fi pieces that it kind of pings off of for me are like Measure of a Man in Star Trek Next Generation, where it's, you know, talking about whether data is a tool or a person. Mm-hmm. The Geth in Mass Effect as well. That, you know, the Koreans designed them to be tools. Particularly interesting to me, I I bring up the sci-fi aspect just like that that's one of my early thoughts about this book. Like when I mm-hmm. went when I read it in the past, that was one of the things um because this was maybe this was one of the first Discworld books I think I ever read. Um because I read a few out of order and then I read all of them. I think this is one of the earliest ones that I read and that idea of like this is a fantasy thing and it's funny, but it's telling a story that like I have not seen any other fantasy book tackle mm. was fascinating to me and one of the things that drew me into the series yeah i mean the 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 bit of sf that it that that it sort of scrapes off for me is specifically with the the king golem uh it feels like a lot of the early irobot stories to me in the the like what happens if there's law conflict in, in yeah. inside the you know inside the robot especially with the all of the golems put you know parts of themselves into you know not just parts of their bodies into the king golem they all put pieces of their own commandments and their own instructions but those weren't they didn't necessarily align well and and i think that that brings up the the uh, another like important you know, theme of this, which is the idea of putting uh, your faith and and your reliance on a single leader and expecting them to be, you know, infallible rather than taking collective action. Mm-hmm. You know, even, even you know, we'll, I'm, we can touch on this now or we can touch on this later. Um, <laughs> the phrase, this being named feet of clay is not just a, a, uh, a tangy reference to Golem. The origin there has some has some relevance as well. Yeah, we can grab that in. I feel like that it's yeah, relevant like to the. You this know. is a good good point to talk about that. Yeah. Again, again, a nice a nice point of this. It's from the well. It's not from the main Torah, but it is from the Old Testament. It's it's from the the writings. Mm. Um, it's uh, from a a story, an interpretation of uh, of a dream. Of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon, and uh, that Nebuchadnezzar sees uh, a, a, a in his dream sees a statue, um, a statue of this great leader um, that is made of of various materials, but it's not a mixed material. It's uh, the 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 value of the material decreases from head to toe so it has a head of pure gold chest and arms of silver belly and thighs of bronze legs of iron uh its feet partly iron and then being made of baked clay so 
it's 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 this entire this this huge you know this 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 impressive statue with a single str- blow to the feet which are clay would be struck down so it's this whole thing of you know being this this thing that has been put on a pedestal that is that is that that is presented as such a strong figure that is so entirely brittle and fragile. Interesting, and that's that's not something that I knew at all, actually. Yeah, it's. Uh, I actually looked that up recently because I was like, "That's where where do I know that from?" And you know, I read that and I was like, "Oh, Terry, you clever bastard!" Yeah, it was something that was like it was one of those things that it was earwarming me, and I was like. I could remember this, and now it's like, oh yes, no, okay, it's just twenty years ago. Repressed Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I haven't been a practicing Protestant for close to fifteen years, uh, and I wasn't a good one to begin with. <laughs> um, the, the other theme that really felt sort of like a through line to me was this idea of words in the head versus words in the heart. You know, it's like the who basically like words in the head is who society tells you who you are. And then and then words in the heart is like this deep core knowledge. And that's sort of that's a moment in one of one of many moments in Discworld that really makes me cry is when Dorfel is given to himself and uh, is given to itself. I, I, I guess he, he assumes a gender. Does Terry assume a gender? Ah, uh, he. Yeah. We'll deal with that later in another book. Um, but yeah, you know, this Dorfel's uh, chem is, is destroyed by the King Golem. Uh, but Dorfel manages to to revive himself because he now has words in his own heart. <sighs> Which is a powerful moment. Now we've also we've also got the words in the head versus words in the heart with uh Cheery as well. And Angua mm-hmm. too, honestly. Yeah. God, okay, we will we will we need to hurry up so we can get to Cheery. <laughs> Alright, let's keep going. <laughs> The other thing that I want to talk about in terms of minor themes or secondary themes, uh, there's a lot of parenting stuff with the the golems and the king golem because they have invested literal parts of themselves in in the king golem. Like they say, clay of my clay, which is, I think, you know, flesh of my flesh is a, another thing phrase that people will will understand and this you know this parenting fear of like you know i have invested literally myself in in them and and i yet i cannot control them you know i i cannot guide them i cannot etc it it hit hard to me hmm. this book also teaches us about the deadly danger of puns <laughs> <laughs> and also speaking of sort of meta contextually uh, and sort of launching off of what what Anna just did there uh Terry has really perfected the emotional whiplash he will say something deeply profound and make a joke the next page uh, and it just sort of or keeps next you line st- even yeah it just keeps you totally like off balance the entire time mhm it's great yeah do you want to talk about yep. tropes? 
Um, there's a lot of trips. I mean, like, there's there's a lot of... Dun, like, dun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of just, like... Like, Sherlock Holmes has put in a lot here. Like, there's, there's a lot of Sherlock Holmes references here. <laughs> as well as, like... I think it's just, like, there's that genre of tropes that are from the police procedural mm-hmm. that are borrowed from here um specifically the this book compared to like say guards is a straight up just more a police procedural yeah guards is more an adventure book with some trappings the guards in guards guard the watching guards guards are like a semi-feral gang (laughs) that just happen to be pointed in the right direction sometimes Mm -hmm. And, and they have like some funny references but i think in and what we see here in Feet of Clay is a much more focused genre being pulled out and being dropped on Hornpork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's so many friggin' calls to, to, to cops, to, to, to like cop shows and movies. Enhance. No. We have, we have enhanced the pixels That's... via imps. Enhance. Uh, they're, they specifically reference, uh, Terry specifically references the police chase trope, too, where, you know, every time Vimes gets close, something gets in his way. Yeah, that, that is, it is a much in the way of that, that uh, guards established that the million to one chance rule. Yeah. This this book is that like straight up calls out that it is a rule that if a police is in a chase, either a uh, fruit stand or... Or a baby carriage or two people carrying a pane of glass <laughs> will walk out in front of them. My cabbages! <laughs> you beat me to it, Justin. Yeah, and the uh, uh, detritus doing the 1980s thing with the, with the troll equivalent of cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's cocaine, all right. I, I love the moment where Vimes, like... There's there's a straight up like lambasting of the home style deduction where Vimes is like you know well you when you've got clues somebody's gonna say that you know this is a left handed bricklayer and you know be saying the same thing about the somebody who you know sprained their wrists and was you know building something on the patio in their spare time vines just straight up calling out bbc sherlock that missing your phone (laughs) charger means that you're an alcoholic (laughs) the line that goes with it i actually really love because the the joke is funny and then you know speaking of emotional whiplash there's the joke and then there's the line and the line is that this is an insult to the rich and chaotic variety of human experience. <laughs> and that's fantastic, right? Like, you know, not only is it saying, like, well, this is a stupid trope. Like, you can't deduct things like that. But it's saying, like, not only, not only is this stupid for that reason, there's, there's way too much variety in the world. And, like, you can't boil people down like that well and and it's it's uh very interesting in how so much a lot it, it's kind of aping that uh the tradition of deductive reasoning in uh in in detective shows and in detective books is that you you gather enough clues you know you just continually gather more and more information and then 
you have the exact explanation that that you 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 have gathered enough information that you can ascertain exactly what happened first try. The little gray cells. <laughs> yes. Um, whereas Vimes has to try every possible wrong situation first. It's it is it is the it is the police equivalent of the last place you you look is where you find the thing because you have to look everywhere else first. You know who's the modern Vimes? Benoit Blanc. Mm, yeah, yeah. But speaking of that, we also get some nice references there because so many we know at the outset of this we sort of told you the the immediate explanation for Vetinari being poisoned. That is the entire through line of the book, is Vimes figuring out how Vetinari is being poisoned. And several of his first theories and red herrings are references to other mystery stories. Um, the most prominent one I can recall is that uh, the corners of Vetin- of believing that the corners of Vetinari's uh, journal was poisoned so that when Vetinari licks his fingers to turn the page, he would be ingesting a small bit of arsenic every time. Uh, there's also the there's also the through line of the arsenic green wallpaper, which is actually mm. a thing. Arsenic green wallpaper was super a thing, and it clearly clearly Vetinari's bedroom is papered in arsenic green, <laughs> but he wasn't eating the wallpaper. The the image of. Uh, whichever dwarf it was, like with two axes and a knife on the dumbwaiter, was just. <laughs> 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 yeah, and, uh, and, and like the the dumbwaiter, like that's straight out of like a Poirot novel too. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe it's an it- arsenic spoon. <laughs> <laughs> and Cherry's like. Please, I mean, for the love of God, no. And uh, we, 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 of course, uh, as in, uh, we also have our our case of the snowman, because Vimes was given all the clues. Right. <laughs> oh my God! Yep, <laughs> that he yeah. was. The the villain told him at the beginning what he was doing, because good old Dragon King of Arms. Yeah, it's like, like, they, like if if there's gonna be one person from Discworld who will explain it from the get go, it's going to be a vampire. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it's like the Bond villain thing. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about the button. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a lot of angry Terry social commentary in this book. I think so uh, much, a, a lot more. Like it's it's stepping up with every single book. The one that sort of caught my attention early on, uh, although we, I think we've seen similar things to this in in previous in Men at Arms, actually, uh, a very similar quote. In fact, uh, while it was regarded as pretty good evidence of criminality to be living in a slum, for some reason owning a whole street of them merely got you invited to the very best social occasions, uh, which I think, in fact, sort of was also happened in. I feel like this almost exact same quote was in that party in Men at Arms. It bears repeating, yeah. though. Yeah. There's one particular one that happens from Carrie, who is the owner of the candle factory. When Angela and Carrot confront him, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read the line. Yeah. Uh, or read the, the exchange. The candles killed two people. Two other people said Carrot. Carrie started to panic again. Who? 
an old lady and a baby in Cockbill Street. Were they important? said Carrie. Carrot nodded to himself. I was almost feeling sorry for you, he said, right up to that point. You're a lucky man, Mr. Carrie. You think so? Oh, yes. We got to you before Commander Vimes did. And I want to talk about that, too, because when Car- when Vimes first tells Carrot about those two deaths, Carrot doesn't know who they are. And Carrot knows everybody. Yeah. So that, like, that tells you just how far down the social strata these two people were. And I, I think it's something that, like, we see both in, the, for lack of a fun name to call them, the Cabals, both their ambitions and their actions in their everyday lives, of that these are people who are very claimed to be, these are early industrialists. Mm-hmm. They are people who are, I put my factory in a cheaper neighborhood so I had to, so I could pay my employees less. You know, doing stuff outside of guild activities. Um, it, it's well, no, because these are like the the cabal is is almost entirely guild. Like mm-hmm. it's the the head of the guild. Uh, yeah, the heads of the guild who are who are who are pushing this along. And these factory, yeah. the factory owners that are sort of brought along with it are basically patsies. I mean, there there is some some discussion of like these these nouveau riche. Mm. Uh, industrialist folk, um, but but in in the same way, it's 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 these these that that they're being this this whole thing is being used to install royalty again. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess it's more uh, okay. The like the people who are at the top are using the factory workers in the same way that the factory workers use people. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's yeah. the, it's it's yeah. again that like the the guild leaders are like, oh, you know, we can use the 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 candle maker, and the candle maker is, oh, well, you know, I'll use my my employees, and the and also I'll use the golem. Mm-hmm. The other thing that really stuck out to me was the discussion of why the cabal sees carrot as a as a danger. Or, or in fact, you know, what Vimes figures out, Dragon King of Arms was afraid of. And then young Carrot turns up with charisma writ all over him, and he's got a sword and a birthmark, and everyone gets a funny feeling. And dozens of buggers start going through the records and say, hey, looks like the king's come back. And then they watch him for a while and say, shit, he really is decent and honest and fair and just, just like in all the stories. Whoops, if this lad gets on the throne, we could be in serious trouble. He might turn out to be one of the many convenient kings from long ago who wanders around talking to the common people. <laughs> isn't, isn't there a line immediately after that, yes. too, that's like, and if he... Yeah. yeah, you're in favor of the common people, said Dragon mildly. The common people, said Vimes, they're nothing special. They're no different from the rich and powerful, except they've got no money or power. But the law should be there to balance things up a bit, so I suppose I've got to be on their side. Right, let's have a king we can control. All the rumors say the king is a humble watchman, so let's find one. And they had a look and found that when it comes to humble, you can't beat Nobby Knobs. Oh, <laughs> Nobby Nobby Knobs is interesting in this one because you know generally, and this book is no exception. Nobby is a piece of shit, right? He's a piece of shit who we love, but he's a piece of shit. Despite that, the scenes where he's, you know, at Lady Salashi's par- party and everything are really kind of like as painful as they are funny because they're just being so cruel to him. 
Like, he might be a piece of shit, but he doesn't deserve this. You know, he thinks that he's, you know, making friends and that they all like him and that they find him funny um, and et cetera, et cetera. And meanwhile, they're just like using him and mocking him. And it's it's pretty shitty. So this is the, the one time that I will say poor Nobby. Mm, mm-hmm. It's it's the I think it's the book where Nobby is the least egregious in. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I I think this is a for 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 what we will say about this is that when given when given the opportunity and given the choice, he makes the exact right choice. <laughs> which is to we'll, jo- we'll we'll get into that. Yeah. We'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good scene. There. Do we want to talk, Cherry? Yeah, let's Do talk, we Cherry. Talk? Um, so, <laughs> um, so we should preface this by saying, up until this point, dwarves are characterized as commonly presenting as a single gender, which obviously biologically is not a thing. So it's more of a religious cultural practice, really. And it's considered downright obscene for a, a dwarf to tell even another dwarf, except if they're, unless they're married, whether they are a boy or a girl or, you know, presumably uh, other choices as, as you see fit. Just, I, I, I know we, we, can, we, we can get into what you're going to yeah, say. Yeah. But before that, I just want to preface this, because leading this in just with... Did Terry mean to write a trans narrative? Yeah, no, this is because Terry wrote a fucking trans narrative. <laughs> really trans. <laughs> like it's a. We it's have a good one so too, right? It's good. It's good. I I went through this book and I was like, what? How did I miss? Like, so ch- cherry, cherry, little bottom. As 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 will come to be known, is one of the is the first dwarf in Ankh Pork apparently to to come out as a woman, and a whole subplot of this is uh her increasing her 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 presentation of femininity, um. And and how people are reacting to that, how how Angua is helping her with that, how Angua helping dwarves. her while concealing her own identity. Yes, 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 yes. Dwarves are reacting to that, and even Carrot, Carrot, like the, our one, our one. It's interesting that this isn't actually addressed as such, but Angua, who is who is for the life of her trying to find faults in Carrot. <laughs> and this is the first this is this is our first time seeing Karen being like, oh no, Karen has inbuilt prejudice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No one is no one is immune. And Angua's like, check yourself, buddy. Yeah. I there's there's like legitimately like this like the start of the Angular subplot is like Angular talking about how like she doesn't like it's not like she hates her home life situation she's still like i don't really feel comfortable in it there's a lot of talk about like mining and stuff and i just like i don't really feel at home there like it just like it's not really comfortable for me there and Angel was like hey do you want to come do you want to like stay with stay at my place and like that starts it off and i'm like oh my god i have seen this like i could i 
it takes more than two hands to count the number of people who like I know who have this exact thing. <laughs> when was what was the what was the point, Justin? What was the point? Um, for 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 where like where I was like, oh, this is trans as fuck. Yeah, um, I think it was that point, honestly, where it was okay. just like because because I, I knew I because I knew like because people had told me about like yeah, there's gender. Like, Cheery's mm-hmm. got some gender stuff. And I was just like, okay. I'm just, and then I was like, there we go. There we go. And then, and then it was, and then it was like, as it goes along, it's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and we've been trying uh, so hard to make sure that you weren't spoiled for that, too. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those cultural gestalt things that yeah. it's just like, yeah, it's like. But trying to make sure that you weren't spoiled for the specifics, at least. But but what's what's the button? What is what is the point where like you can just go, oh, oh, that trans. That's not just like so coming out as Yeah, so I I've uh so for me, that was the point where uh Cherry Cherry gives uh Angua a slip of paper that is a list. And um yeah, oh no and it's it's a list of crossed out names. And um, so I was reading this at work um, and I had to answer a phone call because I was just straight up just like I had to answer a phone call. while I was just like full on like sobbing, crying. Um, and it was gross and disgusting. And um, I had to stop reading the book for a while because it was just like. I was getting way too emotional over that. And it was, it was a good feeling though. Like it was just like, Oh my God. Um, fucking list of names. How? Like I, this, that was the point. Like, cause up until that point I was like, all right, you know what? You can like, I like, I like Terry a lot. I like Terry a lot. I love Terry. It, this is a book published in 1990 or 1996 in the 1990s. I, I was not going going back, and I, I kind of I thought you know this was just about kind of equality and you know how 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 women are mistreated and 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 you know it, it wasn't coming back. Small egg Evan did not proc that so much as old cracked Evan did, and just coming to this just being like Jesus fucking Christ, this like if if Terry did not intend this. As a trans narrative, it is incredible that he managed to luck into that. I because I, that fucking list of names. Yeah, I, I like. I have to. I just like the idea that. Okay, it's just mostly like I can't imagine that he just lucked into that because it's just there's just so many parts of this that are just too real. Yeah, no, it's um, gosh, yeah, and and. The, um, just the whole amount of, like, there there are, like, instances where people in Cherry's workplace, like, balk at presentational things, but there is, but it isn't ever a conflict in the scene. Yeah. And overall, it is, it is basically complete presented as something cool, as something that makes Cherry happy, and... It's great, and um, why is this better than, like, 90% of trans narratives that I've seen before in my life? Um, 
Yeah. The the other um, related cherry button for me, at least, is the the point where she and Angua are talking, and Angua says um, that you know you can be you can be whatever gender you want in the watch as long as you're one of the lads, mm-hmm. and that is that is a particular sentiment that having gotten to university and grad school, etc., in you know math and stats, that is that has been my world. <laughs> In more recent years, I've lucked into environments that don't have as much of that feeling, but that is very much, um, that is extremely true. Um, and I, I personally have always like really loved Cherry as a like icon of, you know, it's, it's okay to like, even if you're in an environment where like being feminine is frowned upon like fuck them <laughs> like be who you are and yeah I, i've i've always really loved her for that as well it's good shit it's good fucking shit overall it's it's something that like it's handled i'd say like very gracefully like within the narrative voice itself like outside of the characters as well it's not something as like a huge lot there's no like big revealing moment or anything for like change for like the change in the narrative it's just a gradual graceful thing Mm -hmm. yeah terry just swaps the pronouns and moves on uh the Um, the authorial voice like character as you said the character there's different reactions from different characters including that other dwarf who outs herself just to cheery though. There's there's a nice piece of writing as well that I like, which is that we're getting the ongoing information about how Cherry is changing up her presentation, um, not through a description of her in every scene, saying, and now Cherry is wearing lipstick, and now she is wearing high heels. Um, it's from repeatedly Vimes being like, something, something's different about you. You're wearing lipstick. And Cherry just being like, yep, Angua gave it to me. And I was being like, well, that's all right then. Well, I believe it was like, it's just, <laughs> you, you've got, I think you've got blood on your face. It's lipstick, sir. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, Vimes is like confused, right, did, but like, it's fine. Cherry, did you get taller? <laughs> oh, no, it's high I heels. heels on. Or, or uh, you know, I, are I, those earrings? I, Oh, dwarves are known for magical rings, sir. But I thought they were on the... <laughs> uh, but it's it's great because it serves to, like, tell us as the reader that her appearance is cha- changing throughout. I love the pieces of Cherry's presentation where, like, when Angua is like, well, I, I, what about the beard? Are you going to are you gonna keep that oh, or shave know. it off? And she's like, goodness, why would I shave it off? It's part of me. Mm-hmm. Which, which I really, that's, that's a nice scene as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that she practices femininity without, like, completely subscribing to the quote-unquote mainstream idea of femininity. Yeah. Or, or the, the human idea. She, she's, she's still yes. a dwarf, even if she's <laughs> yeah. female. That she's going to wear high heels, but she's going to do it by, you know, welding. Welding, welding onto yeah. her. <laughs> 
So what else did we like about this book? <laughs> um, we'll do the golems later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I I have my joke. Like, I have my running bit of Terry writing other genres. Um, and how and I think specifically in this one, like Terry clearly gets that noir is not just a method of speak, like a method of or a method of like narrative and some tropes, but that like specifically like proper mystery noir has a root in examining economic and social inequality, mm-hmm. and that is something that is tied in deeply into this and i think it makes the book a lot better awkward pork stories are always going to be about this but coupling that with the mystery and everything i think is just like it's a very good i'd say like tribute to a genre even if it's like like classic like 30s and 40s noir is not like specifically referenced a lot in the the gar- in the watch books but it's a very narrative tradition and i i really like how it comes through here and it's referenced the most and guards guards with like you know vimes beneath the like flickering neon light essentially mm-hmm. um passed out yeah. on his office rug but yeah that's a lot more it's a lot more like that's a lot more like just paint on the wall yeah whereas yeah. In, in this one however instead of like vimes being passed out it's instead vimes using rich people's expectations of his alcoholism to entrap them. That's a fantastic oh, scene. Such a it, fun scene. And him using, and yeah, it's just like, <laughs> and beating nine like, kinds of hell out of Downey too. I, <laughs> You've got to be good to get the jump on the assassins guild leader. Well, cause assassins only, only want to kill you in a, in a fair way. <laughs> <laughs> what are you taking for? Some kind of common murderer. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Sorry, I derailed you, Justin. Oh no, it's it's great. It, it's um, yeah, no, it's just like yeah, Downey, like Downey is like somebody's like, like whenever I've had to kill anybody or fight anybody, I've always had like every perfect advantage. Meanwhile, Vibes is just like I'm gonna fucking we're gonna. I've I'm never gonna, been in a fair fight in my life. Exactly. I've never been in a fair fight in my life, and let's go down to the gutter, bitch. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna start now. <sighs> uh, and and along with the noir pieces etc i also really as somebody who has read so many mystery novels i felt like terry hit the mystery just perfect that the pacing is great um and in particular i feel like he he hit that balance of just the right amount of information to give to the reader where the reader may or may not figure out exactly what's happening by the end before the the denouement. But like, if you didn't figure it out, then that's okay. You're not going to feel stupid. And it's not like an extreme twist where it's like, this is coming out of nowhere and there's been nothing laying ground. Um, but at the same time, if you, if you did pick it up, um, you've, you know, you, you get that, part at the end where you're like oh i'm i'm clever which Mm -hmm. is you know one of the fun bits of reading murder mysteries and if you're reading it again for the first time in a couple of years you're like oh yeah the heraldry right i didn't i didn't even freaking remember (laughs) i came into this i i i forgot the 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 solution to the mystery yeah uh and and it uh 
I feel like he managed to write a really solid mystery, which is props to him on that. Like that's that's not easy. No, mysteries are hard. The the other thing I want I want to actually call out there is how good he is at the red herrings. Mm-hmm. In in the same in the uh, you you t- you have all the information, um, but there is more like there are specific drops to call you to the same conclusions that Vimes is making. Yeah, like the the licking <laughs> like, the finger, the arsenic green yes. wallpaper, and Vimes yeah. Vimes well, picks it, up on all of them. Yeah, well, I was go- I was going to call out uh, specifically. So, so the licking the finger jumped out to, to me specifically because there's a we we get to the there's a point where it's sort of referenced, and that's where Vimes catches it as well. But that specific behavior is dropped much earlier on mm-hmm. for the reader to catch yep. on to and go, oh, okay, yeah. I think I figured this out too. I figured yeah. it out before Vimes. Ha-ha. Before Vimes did. Look how intelligent I am. Praise me. Yeah, it's, it sells it well. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's really um, – that's, that's what I mean when I'm saying that it's really solid mystery writing. It's got all of the hallmarks. It's not just like, you know – going through the sequence of clues and, you know, getting to the denouement at the end and then they catch the villain and all that. It's the, um, it's like the, the reader book interface is just right for a mystery. So I have, I have noted down a line here, which is where I got the thing of maybe it's the ink. <laughs> um, because of like you can mix, I know you can mix arsenic and ink. It's a, it's a thing. The the light I highlighted. This is just so you all can laugh at me. <laughs> um, it's what time is the supper set up? While well, he's poorly around six o'clock. It's got dark by then. Then he gets on with his writing. Mm-hmm. And it was the candle, not the ink. And I'm like, I just looked at the wrong part of the sentence. <laughs> uh, yep. It's so good. Which that that's how good it is. It's a very well constructed novel. <laughs> and uh I we it, there's also some good stuff for that uh, uh not not to step on your notes here, but calling us to the the rest the actual solution as well just in the background. You know, there's this through line of oh hey, here's this vampire who just keeps going on jobs that would kill him. <laughs> He's complaining to the gar to the watch because he he took a job stacking garlic or working in a pencil factory, and you go through and you're just like, ah, oh, that's a fun joke. That's a that's a that's a fun sort of like the thing where you where the cop procedural you you'd go into the station and and someone's at the front desk complaining, yeah. and then you get to the end and our our architect of of this entire plot is a vampire, and you go. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like it's it actually has utility. It's great. Okay, do we talk about golems now or Ooh, I'm good. I, I can talk about golem. You want me to talk about golem? Let's talk about golem. Did you bring me on the do show it. to talk do about it. golem? We did bring you on the show. Oh my god, golems are so fucking good in this. And in particular, like extremely call out to my own like idea of Judaism which is very much a contemplative and kind of questioning um of of what you were uh, of of what was laid down you know there's 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 a, 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 a I brought this up in in the in the small gods uh conversation as well but so much of Judaism is about questioning and about 
specifically debating and 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 reanalyzing what what the meaning of the specific of the words that came down you know the words in the torah the words in the talmud what like what we are to take from them Mm. and what they mean to us specifically and that the that golem are used in such a fashion that they are um both used in in you know that they are struggling with the same commandments that were laid down to them that they are reanalyzing their scripture is fabulous i fucking love it yeah they're they're little minion with in in that back room feels Mm -hmm. very Mm -hmm. jewish to me god damn it i didn't even fucking get that aaron 12 so they've it's a fucking (laughs) it's a fucking minion Oh, I didn't even fucking get that until this point. God damn it. <laughs> oh, and then, fuck me. And then Dorfel ends up the book as... An atheist. As, as, a, as a an agnostic. Atheist. Yeah. As, as a fireproof. As an atheist yeah. who fucking loves theological debate. Yeah. It's the best. He's, a, he's such a Jew. Yeah. He's so Jewish! Uh, and I, I think my favorite Dorfel line, or one of my favorites from the end, is you know, when Vimes is like, well, you'll need some days off for, for holy days, right? And Dorfel's like, either all the days are holy or none of them are. I have I not des- yet decided. And it's like, that's, that's a great line. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, like, uh, this, this... I don't know. This may be leading into to favorite passages, favorite <laughs> bits, but from that end bit there, because because another 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 piece I love from this book is is I love that this is the introduction of Constable Visit. Yeah, Constable Visit the non-believers with informative pamphlets. <laughs> our our resident proselytizer of the Omnian religion, who everyone finds insufferable because he's a proselytizer. Yeah. Except at the end when Dorfel is 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 in entering against him in theological debate and specifically says to Vimes, you know, oh good, I will get to spend time with my new friend Constable Visit. <laughs> Do you have more of those informative pamphlets? I would like more. <laughs> yeah. Um I, I there's also like a little bit of humor that I love in Dorfel at the end that like I don't think we've seen a lot of before in, in Discworld, which is when Dorfel is arguing with a priest, uh, with, with the priest, or one of the priests, um, the priest says, we're not listening to you. You're not even really alive. This is fundamentally true. <laughs> See, he admits it. I suggest you take me and smash me and grind the bits into fragments and pound the fragments into powder, or into powder and mill them again to the finest dust there can be. And I believe you will not find a single atom of life. True, let's do it. However, in order to test this fully, one of you must volunteer to undergo the same process. <laughs> <laughs> I'd flag that line too because that is so close to what 
will be written in what it was chronologically the next book, Hogfather, with Death's speech about grinding down the universe to the finest sieve and finding a molecule of justice. <laughs> Wait, but also, but also, uh, when he's arguing on the bridge with all of those priests, um, <laughs> Offler's zaps, one of the priests of Offler's, like, zaps Darfel with a with a lightning bolt. I I don't I don't think that was impl- uh, implied to be one of the priests. I think that, that was, was yeah yeah yeah. 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 And, and Dorfel's response is, "I don't call that much of an argument." That's not a very compelling argument. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the, the chief priest of Blind Eye turned to the other priests. All right, you fellows, there's no need for any of that. But Dorfel's a vengeful god," said a priest in the back of the crowd. "Trigger happy is what he is," said Red Kelly. <laughs> Oh, uh, but yeah, Golem are fucking good yeah. in this. Like, I'm so, I'm so glad that, like, where Golem were used in this, they were, they, they're, how they were portrayed is, is very much, like, as Jewish identity. Like, they, they're, they're not, they're not an XP stand-in for Jews by, by, by any means, but their identity is so linked to Judaism. Um, it's, it's an, it's, it's a, a fabulous adaptation of the Golem mythos and, and, uh, 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 again, sort of things that are, um, using the mythos, uh, to, 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 to further this, like the, 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 the tropes are brought up of oh you know here's a golem that was told to to dig a to dig dig a river and and ended up flooding a town and the idea that no they have to obey so that's how they have resistance mm-hmm. yep they have to obey their laws so they resist by doing these jobs so effectively that it uh, that it hurts you and that's just again such a thing of like taking the words that you were like taking again, taking the words that you were given and interpreting them to work for you. It's good shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's good shit. I love Golem. I love Golem so much. And this is a very good, this is a very good yeah, carrot, thing with Golem. And, and also Carrot's sort of realization of, of what they really are. And like, you know, there he's, there's that scene where he's standing down an angry mob and they're like, well, you know, they're, they're murdering people. And, and, he, he his responses along the lines of basically like, well, if they're things, if they're tools, they cannot commit murder, and if they are people, they've been slaves, and that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other carrot line I really like regarding Dorfel is when he's talking to Vimes. Uh, and he says, "I've seen Dorfel around. It's always seemed a very gentle person." And Vimes says, "It works in a slaughterhouse." To which Carrot replies, maybe that's not a bad place for a gentle person to work. Mm-hmm. Which I, I really liked that as a line. It made me wonder whether Terry's a vegetarian. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. One funny thing about this book, and not to just get <laughs> oh, completely I off think topic. We're, I think we wait, know the same thing. Wait, which? Go ahead. Which one? <laughs> it's it's that this book makes canon that there are kosher yes. butchers <laughs> in Discworld. Because the vampires get their We've... blood from kosher butchers. Right. I hi- I have that highlighted with just I have questions. <laughs> like in the same way that it's not like that the hem is not is not like explained and that's that's just straight out. It's just like yeah, kosher exists. What? Wait, what? 
I mean, there are so many religions. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe followers of Offler or keep kosher. Um, so, uh, I, there's there's a couple like round world references that are like are, I, that's a lot of but like um, there is a um, what is clearly a there is a, a reference to the practice of the Judas goat, mm. mm-hmm. um, which is just like immediately immediately just like was the thing that pinged out to me it was like you can change the spelling. I know what you're referring to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My God, they said Judas goat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've also we've also got the um, the candle dipped in holy water, where the water evaporates and just leaves holiness. That's the most D D player shit I could imagine. Of just like, hey, hey, um, we want to we want to like, I want you to bless the. It's like I want you to bless this super soaker. <laughs> uh, it's just like that level of. So the, the other, the other <laughs> interesting thing with the golem and like the uh, com- confronting the other supernatural uh, elements in the, or I guess other, you know, um, non non dead uh, people in the book. Mm. Um, Differently Angela, alive. Differently alive, yes. Angua, you know, they repeatedly established that Angua can't smell them, but can smell the things that they do. And then eventually Vimes uses that same f- sort of property of of Darfel to surprise uh, Dragon King of Arms because um, Dragon, I guess, is, you know, smelling or listening for heartbeats or something like that. And Dorfel does not have any of those features and yet is alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then Dragon's like, so Vimes is just you and me. And Vimes is like, no, well, actually. Bitch. <laughs> yeah. See my previous uh, response about never being in a fair yeah. fight. Yeah. Other things that we didn't cover in terms of favorite details. Do we want to talk about beers? Is it a queer bar? I mean, it's it's it, you can call it a subtextually queer bar. Mm. Um, so 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 we should probably explain. It. So beers is is the 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 monster bar. We'll yeah. say uh, where all the monsters go to drink. So Angua Angua takes Cherry Cherry. Sorry, not did not mean to dead name her uh, to to a gay bar. I mean a monster bar um, <laughs> where they. Uh, where where we just get a fun little interlude of all of all these different you know classical monsters in uh, in as well world. as Mrs. Gamage, yeah, yes, <laughs> the little old woman who they all just you know take care of, and I which is I actually sorry. and I actually want to talk about Angua as well because we've we've talked a lot about a lot about Cherry, but we haven't talked a lot about Angua. In in some ways, because you know, throughout all of this, Cherry is being a jackass to Angua in a lot of ways that like she doesn't know that Angua is a werewolf. And so she's talking about like, oh, well, you know, I heard that there's a werewolf on the force and like I really hate werewolves and I wear a silver vest to protect me from werewolves. And like my, you know, brother's uh fr- and, my second cousin was eaten by a right. werewolf and you know all of this and ang was just putting up with it mm-hmm. and is yeah. like she's putting up with it and is helping uh helping cherry throughout all of this and um and then finally you know angua saves cherry's life by turning into a werewolf there 
um, near the mm-hmm. end. And she, she's just like, oh, shit, I didn't realize. And I feel like that's a really interesting narrative as well. Yeah. And it's like yeah. it's an open secret. Like everybody except yeah. Cherry knows who the werewolf is. Uh, and yep. so, you know, I think that maybe one read of it is that like Cherry obviously is smart. She's just so wrapped up in this emotional journey that she's going through that she just like can't see what's right in front of her. Well, I think it's again like coming down to that idea of of kind of prejudice and and you know how we're we're viewing people. You know, Cherry doesn't see werewolves as the people you you know people you'd interact just like with. Carrot did in Men at Arms. Yes, and and you know, and actually, just like we see Angua do, um, we see that that you know, Cherry is 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 you know dumping on on Angua and uh, uh or not dumping on Angua, but like being like, yeah, oh man, werewolves, they're they're awful. I like I hate them. Um, and Angua, we see doing the same thing with the golem, mm-hmm. like that. Well, I may be this, but at least I'm not that. You know, it's 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 your it's your hierarchy of of uh, discrimination. You know, it's it's to 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 you know call a a, a, a real world example. It's like, oh yeah, well you know the the how did how did the uh, Italians sort of rise from being the uh, 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 prejudice class? Well, they started prejudicing against POC. Right. And so the people above were re- were united in their hatred for the lower the lower class. Yeah. Is Dorfel a communist? Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Well, like, well, listen, we'll 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 touch <laughs> okay. on that. Uh, uh, I do want I, actually. I do want to bring up one one more small thing on the Angry Cherry yeah. storyline, yeah. if that's all right. Which is that the last bit where after uh after Angua saves Cherry, Cherry's like. Well, you didn't tell me you were a werewolf. And Angry was just like, when would you want, how would you like me to tell you? (laughs) How would you have liked me to come out to you when you're, you know, Mm -hmm. spraying all this hurtful stuff in front of me? So beers is a reference to cheers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because it's good to go where where everybody knows your shape. (laughs) God damn it. It, It's it's a line in the book. Uh, Oh god, and Fucking the the, the tactical blanket. Um, uh, yeah, the yeah. tactical blanket, which, which, which so will cool. again return <sighs> in mm-hmm. the next book. So, so Justin, you're getting some context for Hogfather here. Yeah, that <laughs> it's weird doing what like out of all these, one book is out of order. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a reannual joke. Yeah. Oh, oh god, and I think my favorite, my favorite Sam Vimes line of probably all time. My name is Sam, and I'm a really suspicious bastard. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, he is. Like, he even has a custom-made shaving mirror so that he can watch out of his window in more, slightly more angles. Buddy. Yeah, uh, well, you know, uh, is it paranoia if, ever, if people really are out there? That is true. <laughs> We're we're sort of onto you know our favorite passages and such, and the our opening scene. Well, our our opening character scene, not the first scene, but you know, of Sam Vines shaving, casually dealing with an assassin, while thinking about you know the assassin, the, the assassin being entirely cordial, just going like, yeah, uh, well, you got me. 
Uh, I suppose I really should have, uh, I should have, should have tried for the, uh, I see that you've loosened the tiles. I guess I should have tried for the shrubbery. Vimes like, I guess. Yeah. I had actually, <laughs> Vimes thought, there is a bear trap in the shrubbery. <laughs> And yeah. then, and then the you know when the when the assassins guild goes to raise the price on his head at the end of the book, and he's like, "Well, guess I'm gonna have to buy some more bear traps." <laughs> I believe it is. I will have to buy a larger bear trap. <laughs> oh, Same man. energy, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Evan, you've got you've got one here that I I really like. <laughs> Yeah. So so we've touched on we've touched on Nobby. Um and let's 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 lay the scene a bit. So Nobby, our resident shithead, our resident dirtbag, our resident asshole, our resident needs a which actually before we lead into this to this actual one, I'm going to immediately bring up a new favorite thing, which is that Nobby has a certificate by, signed by Veterinari reporting the fact that he is in fact human <laughs> he needs a specific certificate to prove he's human but nabi is invited to this uh, uh well well they they have put forth that nabi is a is a uh scion noble um is invited to a party so that the um you know upper crust may convince him of the fact that he should be king and after taking ages <laughs> to get to to understand that they are actually that they are trying to get him to be king, when they bring this idea up, immediately freaks out so much about the concept of being king that he proceeds to yeet himself out a fucking window head first. Yeah, one of my favorite lines too is when he's still trying to grasp this concept and he's like and they're like well you could be you could be king and he's like vimes will go spare and it's like well you'd be king king. you could just execute vimes and he's like no hi i couldn't do that vimes would go spare yeah one of the other things that this book establishes is that i think did they have they said this in previous books uh that that vimes's ancestor killed the this uh, was the first place i'm pretty sure so yes, Stoneface Vimes is Vime is Sam Vimes' direct ancestor several generations down. Uh and in fact took care of the last king of Ankh-Morpork <laughs> uh when we no one stand. else would. <laughs> sort of a Cromwellish uh, moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was about to say that like uh, what I learned in doing a little bit of research is is that Stoneface Vimes whose name I'm tr- whose Stoneface is, is not his real name. He had a wonderful name that I can't recall at this moment. Um, suffer not injustice. Yeah. <laughs> suffer not injustice. Vimes. That that is that, that like was, is that like, like thou shalt not commit adultery, Pulsifer? <laughs> not not quite, but close. Um, but that uh, uh, this 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 is my my American coming out. That mm-hmm. a pretty pretty direct reference. To Oliver Cromwell, uh, there there may there may be uh, some nuance we're not picking up here on anti-royalism. <laughs> for someone who's been yeah, for um, someone who's been knighted, uh, Terry seems pretty Republican in the British sense. The the faction of Vimes' ancestor were the Ironheads, 
which were which is a combination of two names that were there for uh, the parliamentary and soldiers of Oliver Cromwell, mm-hmm. uh, which were Roundheads and Ironsides. Right. Yeah. No. Um, I I like how it's like just yeah you know you know finds his ancestor killed the last king and um there's another really good Nobby bit where he where like it goes through in the analysis of quote unquote volunteering <laughs> <laughs> and. The, my favorite—it's a good long, th- long, good long section. But my favorite one is when the call came for Corporal Nobs. It would not find him wanting. It would not find him at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which God, if that isn't how I feel at work every goddamn day. <laughs> oh, that is like that, there's there's a great other bit of uh, portion of that where it's like if an angel came down and was asking for folks to step forward for salvation. Nob, Nobby would know to be one safe step behind pace. <laughs> uh, I just want to bring up one, one, one more tiny, tiny portion for for favorite bits, which which is just the, the stupidest fucking thing. So our first, our our one of the first things that Sam Vimes is doing is that he has an appointment to to get his coat of arms because now he's a noble, and we find out. That in Discworld, for coat of arms to be legitimate, they have to actually model it on live animals. Arthritic hippos, yeah. It's a, it, it's with the, with the gay hippos too, and the griffin who's been poorly. Yeah. Sin. Sam, Sam Vimes like, I thought you all just made it up. And, and you know, it's like, if you want to be a peasant about it. And then all of those animals find a new home under the care of uh, Lady Sybil. I, 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 it's like, even, even, oh gosh. I mean, so that's probably, that probably answers the fact of like, or, or answers the question of like, so does Discworld not have like weird marginalia animals? <laughs> <laughs> because they do everything off reference. Well, at least no, their coat of arms do. They don't know about their maps because they're you can't map a sense of humor. <laughs> One thing that stuck out to me in terms of things that that really aged sort of well in terms of socioeconomic discussion was the when Vimes when Vetinari is sick, uh, Vimes's first thought is to bring in not a people doctor but a horse doctor because people have no value to doctors, but a racehorse has a lot of value to the racehorse owner. Uh, and so uh, horse doctors are much better at keeping horses alive than people doctors are. Or in that one case, uh, keeping the racehorse running even after it's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, um, and I, that also established so many great little bits where um where Vetinari has, you know, all of the all of the horse tinctures and stuff like that and the instructions to, you know, like, like hold stroke his, nose. his throat. Yeah. <laughs> hold his nose and until he's swallowed it all. I think I think we should talk about communist Dorifal. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Cause uh the I so when I was reading this book, 
I I I I got towards the end and I I I put it down and I went to my partner and I said, "You know, this book has everything. It has trans people, it's got golem, it's got seizing the means of production because holy shit, this book is about collective action, including to the point of seizing the means of production even when you are the me- especially when you are the means of production." Yeah. Uh, 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 we'll see, we'll see this evolve in later Discworld <laughs> books, but Dorfel is forming a union mm-hmm. and Dorfel specifically is like beginning, knows what now knows what he is worth and is using that to, 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 you know, affect change to the industry about that. We, we, we even see the first point of, of bargaining with Vimes right towards the end when Vimes is, is you know, commissioning uh, Dorfel as a, as a new inductee to the watch. And Dorfel says, and you will pay me twice as much. And Vimes goes, what? <laughs> or I think Vimes go, oh, will I? And Dorfel goes, yes, I don't sleep. I will work. I don't need days off. I will. I work twice as much. I will receive twice the pay. And then with that pay. I will go free my f- friend Golem. I will give him to himself. He will be free, and then we will work together to free the next Golem, and so on and so it's forth. Fantastic! Mm-hmm. It's it's wonderful. And and I, the way that they're kind of working in the system too is fascinating. You you'd expect perhaps you know something along the lines of like. You know, smashing through and you know freeing the other golems by force, but no, it's the buying them and then keeping it going. But also the you know, I smashed the treadmill, but the golems repaired it. Why? And I let the animals go, but they just milled around stupidly. Some of them even went back to their slaughter pens. Why? Welcome to the world, Constable Constable Dorfel. Is it frightening to be free? You said it. You say to people, throw off your chains, and they make new chains for themselves. Seems to be a major human activity. Yes. Yeah, I think I think in our notes you you had a specific line that that uh, we didn't actually bring up. What was it? Uh, you, you had it. You had it written out. Um, the it's the tendency. Yeah, whoever had created humanity had left in a major design flaw. It's tendency to bend at the knees because freedom is scary. Yeah, and you have to make decisions for yourself. All right. Well, now that we've talked about all the great things, <laughs> so I think I think the the way I will put this for. Um, is that over the evolution of the guards novels, like I, I, I compared them earlier, like the guards and the, the watching guards guards are like a feral gang that doesn't really do much beyond get into fights and like occasionally Vimes will point them in the direction of something. Now that they are a police force, there are points, there are points when Terry realizes something about like policing that... I think he could recognize as a thing. It's it's like he's too wrapped up in the tropes. He's he's wrapped up in the tropes. He falls into easy patterns with the genre. But I think it, it's maybe it's something where he doesn't consider he or it's not something that he's ready to question in his own process of what comes next. Yeah. Or if this is something that needs to be improved. I think he also has he's fighting with like Vimes, Vimes and Carrot are sort of the ideal of. Com- I mean, Carrot especially is the ideal of community-based policing, 
right? Yeah, I'd say I'd say Carrot yeah. is. Vimes very much is Vimes not. Vimes is struggling throughout pretty much all of the Vimes books with this idea of Watchmen theoretically have the power to kill, but they shouldn't. Yes, but that's not the only... Like, I, I, I don't... Like, that being the only line for Vimes... Mm-hmm isn't really there because what we're what we're kind of like dancing around is that this book has a lot of it's kind of copaganda jokes it's it's very copaganda (laughs) um and also like plays a lot of plays with a lot of jokes where the joke is ha ha police brutality in particular with detritus Yeah. yeah i think that a lot of that falls on detritus with you know the the running joke of him you know threatening people until they admit guilty admit that they're guilty and then ask well what am i guilty of yeah um, yeah which is like a joke that's not really a joke that's a thing yeah and 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 uh, similarly you know we 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 like there's a lot of things that are unfortunately talking points for a lot of, you know, cops, you know, cop, pro-cop things where it's, you know, uh, 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 like, oh, well, you know, there's, there's a one-off line about the fact that, uh, they have, they, they have plain clothes watchmen now. Um, they have, they use the term actually secret police. They're not, I mean, you know what? I don't know. I might have been propagandized too far that plainclothes cops might as well be secret police. But they have, you know, that they now have a plainclothes unit because Vimes thinks they need secret police because there are secret crimes. Or there's, you know, another bit with Detritus uh, uh, and between Vimes and Detritus about, oh, you know, everyone's guilty. And I mean, the 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 unfortunate framing of it is is that it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to look at this. It's kind of hard for this to have a critical eye because in the setting, everyone in Ankh-Morpork is a criminal. You, 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 you very rarely have anyone who is not guilty of something. Including so, just tax evasion. Yeah, there's so much tax evasion <laughs> in Ankh-Morpork. Well, I've looked through the, the tax logs and I didn't see your name there, says Karen. You, you must have you must have forgotten to send it in. I'll I'll come over and help you tomorrow. I I I did not understand that bit the the first time it was going through where uh the carrot stops some criminals and uh the the uh, uh, the person they were stealing from gets mad at them that they couldn't just get away because carrot is like because it put carrot onto his tax evasion. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and it's interesting because this feels like, you know, the Vimes, like, you know, well, everybody's guilty of something line. It feels like a departure for him from what we saw in, I think, I think the line would have been in guards guards where um, he's responding to, the line of you know well the the innocent the innocent should have nothing to fear you know and the the vimes line is the innocent have plenty of fear mostly from people who say things like the innocent have nothing to fear yeah 
to expand on on the this particular scene that we're talking about though like the the i think the the line is something along the lines of maybe if you laid down really quietly in a cellar uh you wouldn't be breaking any laws except you might be loitering you know so i think it's more a critique of the laws than suggesting that vimes thinks everyone is is actually morally mm. guilty so much as just breaking laws which is you know and and you know I fully see the 30 year difference, you know, between where, when Terry wrote this and where we are now, but like all of Vimes's positioning seems to be basically like the watch is here to defend the powerless from the powerful. And that's how he uses the watch. Mm -hmm. Whether other watchmen do or don't is, you know, and then some of detritus's violence is, cultural because they only ever describe him beating up (laughs) that's its that's its own that's its own ball of wax right there yeah i've been somebody who's been obsessed with the police procedural fortunately or unfortunately for the last 25 years of my life um which is far more than it should be so i mean there's i think there's the problem is is that like it's it's a genre that has a lot of baked in problematic issues the least of which like not the least of which is police brutality and what the job of police actually is and i think that like as the watch approaches something that is more modernly like more resembling a present-day police force the harder it is to not compare it yeah yeah, yeah, because it's because it's not just a a a group of discrete individuals trying to to do good mm-hmm. or, or whatever. It's a a city funded uh, police yeah, force. Yeah, because guards guards they're essentially vigilantes because they're fired. And it's made perfectly clear, like from Veterinari, that if Samuel Vimes did not exist. Samuel Vimes would have been invented, mm-hmm. and Samuel Samuel Vimes was per, was perhaps invented. That it, it's that the watch as it was reborn is a tool of that. We'll get there in eleven months, well, Anna. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean it, it, it's. It is a tool of the patrician. How much control Venonari has over that is, I would say, variable depending on the story. But it it, it is a tool of the cities and. I mean, this is this is a whole thing that, like, when we finish yeah. all the guards books, we could do a three hour episode on. <laughs> it's an issue that um, I like it, it sort of make it, it does make analyzing this book from like a far out perspective a little difficult. And like, it's one of those things that it's like it's hard for me to want to recommend a book in 2021 like this, like full throatedly. It's it's a thing that I would you know it's that I have to recommend reservation like any media now that really involves police because there's going to be stuff there that is that that is going to be sensitive. Yeah, I love this book, listeners. Please don't please don't jump in my mentions. I loved this book. Just please, <laughs> I have reservations. <laughs> Not everything. I think that's a good place to pin that discussion. I have only one thing for things I wish had been done differently, which is give us more Sybil. Yeah, she's strangely absent in this book. I demand more Sybil. I mean, there's so much other stuff going on, but I don't think she even really appears on screen. All. I think I think the well, the, I was gonna say I think the most she appears on screen is when Sam Vimes is in bed and wakes up, and Lady Sybil like 
murmurs and and rolls yeah. over. But she's so good, and I wish that she was in appearing in this film. Yeah, mm-hmm. we get a lot more Sybil <laughs> in the, the next true guards book. Other interesting references to Discworld. I think this is the first time outside of the first two books we've seen Imp Tech. No. No? Moving Pictures. Yeah, oh, yeah I was about right. to say, didn't you? Yeah, yeah Moving yeah. Pictures. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's been one or two instances, but Moving Pictures was definitely the, the most prevalent yeah. one. Yeah. This is, the, this is the first time we've seen imps used for this purpose, though. Yeah. For the disorganizer. Yeah. <laughs> the pocket, pocket PDA. Oh my God. Do you get uh, this organizer? Because it's a circle of hell. God, no. God this. fucking damn it! I never got that before, Aaron. Terry, Terry, Terry. We need to talk about your pun problem. <laughs> and how it was great. All right, can I? Can I? All right. No, no, small tangent, but. A pun that, that I don't think I got the first time I read this, and just because l- I love Dorfel's deadpan humor, because Dorfel is deadpan yeah. as hell. <laughs> when when they're talking to D- Dorfel uh, in the <laughs> in the slaughterhouse, that's awful. Close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, the the pun game in this book is really strong. Yeah. Um, but in, uh, interesting references. Hi, y'all remember me from the Small Gods uh, 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 fucking <laughs> review when Sam Vimes is like, what, y- listen, we're coming up with murder theories. Don't go running off shouting, give me a towel. <laughs> um, and I feel better about missing mis- moving pictures, Evan, because uh, Gaspode is from moving pictures. Well, you know what? I didn't read Moving Pictures in the last couple of months, so I did not remember the talking dog in it because this is the first Discworld book I've yet I've read in yeah. years. Oh, don't worry, I didn't remember it either. <laughs> yeah, just um, a, a, what a brief. Dog? We get a brief cameo from the from the undesirables. Yeah, and and uh, the 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 character who I can't believe we've not mentioned yet. Uh, we make we Mad Arthur. Oh, yes, the the gnome, the 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 gnome who is who is fighting against the monopoly on on extermination. One hundred percent an Ack McFeagle. Um, I don't. I, have no, they shown yet. up yet? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Not until, not until Tiffany. So so this is like the prototype yeah. of 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 them. One hundred percent. Just wait until we get the gnome watchman. I think this is that is. I think that's Arthur. No, isn't that uh, Bugsy Swires? Oh yeah, listeners, we've reached the point of the podcast where they say things and it doesn't make sense <laughs> to me. Well, no, no, because because Arthur is like he's giving a, a temporary commission at the end of right. at the end of this book by by Fred, right. and I think he continues on. There might be another gnome. I don't the know. Gnomes are great um, though. It's also the first, but definitely not last, appearance of the most terrifying dwarven battle cry, uh, which I cannot say in the original dwarven because I cannot gargle gravel. Uh, but today is a good day for someone else to die. <laughs> That's Klingon as fuck. <laughs> yep. I uh, mean, this was from 96, so. Yeah. If Terry didn't well, watch TNG, I, 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 I you will eat I hat. He yeah. must have. <laughs> We've also got Rogers the Bull. I Rogers, Rogers the Bulls. The bull. Rogers the Bull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that one's for you, Holland. Uh, and Veterinary's Maddening Clock. 
is one of my favorite like little veterinary tidbits. So I have a little weird thing that I that I found while I was doing just like research and poking around on wikis. Every translation of this book, like for foreign audiences, translates the title literally. I think the only weird, like the only one that doesn't like do a complete one is Dutch, which has it to Feet of Loam. But German just changes the title completely to what translates as Hollow Noggin. And it's just like, it was this weird thing. I'm just like, notice it. I'm like, that's weird. That's wild. I wonder. Um, uh, I, I would also like to point out that the, um, there's a discussion of uh, jobs that one might have in a candle making factory. And two of these jobs are wick dipper and end teaser, which are on the face Reasonable names for jobs that one might have in a candle making factory, but boy, does that sound dirty as fuck. I mean, wick dipper, come on. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna uh, touch on 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 one one thing that I, we didn't mention, or rather, I I I brought it up very quickly. So all the all the golem have have Yiddish names. Mm-hmm. Um, Dorfel is like uh, translates vaguely to like town or. or settlement that that sort of thing um a couple of them have have fun ones uh one of them is dibik which is you know a, a evil possessing force our king our king golem who has been driven mad by all the all the expectations placed on him oh is mashuga <laughs> he's mashugana <laughs> Uh, there's a there's a scene with the the guild uh, representatives, um, and there's just a great little Mrs. Palm moment. Uh, I am only a weak woman," said Mrs. Palm, to the personal disbelief of several present. <laughs> <laughs> can before we get to the ratings and the and, and the and the severe bit, can I just get like five seconds to scream into a microphone? Okay, watch your game though. I don't want vibes of veterinary to fuck. I don't want them to kiss. I just want them to be in a room at each other and be bitchy and catty to each other. <laughs> and just like, I want a 300 page book of just that. <laughs> it's like, okay, I, I haven't actually watched Hannibal because I can't stand gore, but it's every like Hannibal and Will Graham gif set that I've seen. Like it has that energy. <laughs> Except like, 500% more bitchy. <laughs> okay, except here, like, instead put that to Hannibal and Lawrence Fishburne's yeah. character from yeah. Hannibal. That's what that okay. is. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Any which way, it's just, I, I like, I ship them, but not like a romantic, like, maybe in like a weird romantic way, but like, I don't want them, I don't need them to kiss or anything. I just want them to talk at each other. Yeah, they have like great banter <laughs> chemistry. I wanted to check in with everybody on how do we feel about Angua and Carrot at this point? I think they're fine. I think that there's like, we're setting this up for that they need to have a reckoning at some point in the future. But I think it's mostly just that like, either Carrot needs to figure, either Carrot needs to lighten up and figure out that like, oh, hey, your girl is going to like walk out on you if you don't recognize that she's like feeling weird about this. Or Angua needs to recognize, I need to have this conversation 
where I'm going to have this conversation and I need to have it. Otherwise, I'm just going to leave and break his heart. Yeah, I, I think that that's where I'm at. Like, I don't super love them together. I, I There's potential there. But at this in this particular book, um, the two of them like are it's it's really at an awkward stage. I think that's honestly the the like the the bit of this book that kind of falls flat is is that that storyline that that relationship between Angua and Carrot like it it doesn't it it, it isn't really it's kind of just seeding mm-hmm. and so it doesn't really have good resolution. All it, all it has is just like that running tension. Angua is not sure about the relationship, but refuses to like actually fucking talk to Carrot. And okay, and Carrot, for is... his part, would probably not actually listen. So this may be a wild hair theory, but I think that Carrot just assumes that there is a relationship, and therefore the universe is bending around them to make it a relationship, but because Angua isn't fully of Ankh-Morpork, it isn't fully working on her, which is why she's questioning it. Mm. It's also, it's also which is sort of creepy feels to like say. he believes that the magical relationship fairy will take care of it. Uh, and, you know, that one doesn't appear in Hogfather, so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It yeah. just sort of is like, assume a heterosexual relationship. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is, this is my, this is my joke where it's like, Terry, can't write regular straight people, but uh, <laughs> you can write dysfunctional straight people together. I think that's. I think he worked. I think he's much better at that. I mean, you say that, but I mean, like, well, I guess, I guess, Vimes is, is, is dysfunctional in that point because, like, Lady Sybil is not dysfunctional at all, and like, <laughs> that's 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 fucking relationship goals right there. Or maybe it's just that he can't write young people in love. I think that carrot is just not like not interesting. It. It's 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 writing it's writing a thing with Kara because Kara doesn't have like there is not an actual conflict placed here. Yeah, there's there like and I think this is against seeds because if I recall, Fifth Elephant hasn't happened yet, right? Correct. Nope. So this is really kind of more just seeding for future storylines than it has than it's actually it, it's not given any real attention besides just here's a little bit of thought for Angua, but. You know, our resolution at the end of this is, ah, we'll keep going for now. Yeah. But maybe, but maybe something will happen. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It's like, it's just, it's not a, with, with everything else that is like so like well put together in this book, that's just the bit. It's like, it falls to the side because it's less interesting than the rest of everything else. And there's not any reason to sort of keep going at it. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to check in with folks about how we're feeling about the relationship because we will see more about it in the future. And one of only a few relationships that we have on like the long-term relationship tracker. Yeah. I think, I think like my feeling about it is I don't care. (laughs) They're there. They, they have like some issues, but it's not really, I mean, it's not really addressed. So it's like, it's hard for me to care about it when there's nothing that happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an, it's an, ep- it's a mid season episode of Seinfeld. All right. Do we want to read this book? Yeah. I, I give it 25 out of 19 holy days. Uh, I, I gave it 10 out of 10 rats and a rat surprise. I gave it four out of four axe strokes from Stoneface Vimes. And I gave it your daddy, your baby. <laughs> Perfect score. Shall we indulge? Shall we indulge the bit? We shall indulge in the bit. 
What's the next book? The next book is Jingo. Okay. Oh, that was my question. <laughs> Which is going to be a complicated one to discuss. All right, Jingo, a novel Discworld by Terry Pratchett. It is book 21. We're halfway here. Uh, I'm not counting Shepherd's Crown. We're halfway there. Wow. Copyright infringement. <laughs> All right. It isn't much of an island that rises up one moonless night from the depths of the Circle Sea. Just a few square miles of silt and some old ruins. Unfortunately, the historically disputed lump of land called Leshp is once again floating directly between Ankh Morpork and the city of Al Kali on the coast of Clatch which is spark enough to ignite that glorious international pastime called war. Huh. What is it good for? Absolutely no. You say that, but that uh, will get referenced. Of course yeah. it will. Uh, pressed into patriotic service, Commander Sam Vibes thinks that he should be leading his loyal watchman, female watchdog, and lady werewolf into battle against local malefactors rather than against uncomfortably well-armed strangers in the Clatching Desert. But war is, after all, simply the greatest of all crimes, and it's... Sir Samuel's sworn duty to seek out criminal masterminds wherever they may be hiding and lock them away before they can do any real damage. Even the ones on his own side. Oh, I'm going to feel complicated about this one. Yes. Yeah. Well, good thing we've got all summer to take care of this. And with that, fair listeners, we can rebuild him. We have the pottery. The Complete Discography is an independent production by four people who just really like these books. All opinions expressed during the show are our own. All quotes from primary or related works are used under the Fair Use Doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners. The music from this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. That info can be found in the show notes. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it. Please share it, but say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show at Pod, which is A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D, or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com.